Kathy, Stacy. Good to see all of you here this morning. After worship, I felt like we could all just be dismissed and go home. Wow. Just, uh, I think God's up to something. I just feel that there's been a, a change in the atmosphere here that uh, is really wonderful. So, uh, we're uh, focusing on prayer, and before we move on, I would like to extend an invitation to all of you that can. Ever since we started in 1977, we've always prayed before the service. We've had a place of prayer, and it's not an exclusive group. So uh, we pray kind of in a circle over here. You can sit, stand, or whatever, and at 9.15, we, we pray. And I believe when you walk in here and you feel the Lord's presence, it's not an accident because there's been an atmosphere that comes through prayer. And... Uh, so, but we're going to make a change here for the next 12 weeks. Starting next Sunday, uh, Shirlene and I are going to be just uh, teaching briefly on prayer, intercessory prayer, and those things at 9 o'clock. We usually pray at nine from 9.15 for about a half an hour, 20 minutes. But we're going to start at 9 o'clock and teach for 15 or 20 minutes, and then we'll go to prayer. And... Uh, but I want you to know, even if you feel like you're unlearned or you're a novice, come and add your weight uh, to the prayer that goes on here. We, uh, the, more, the more prayer there is, the better everything's going to be. So I want to do that. Um, let's see. We're, uh, do we have our slide up there? The power of prayer, Isaiah 62.6, watchmen on the wall. Watchmen are are people, human beings, and God needs watchmen on the wall. But let's pray together. Uh, this morning, what I'm going to talk about isn't something you can just teach. It really comes by the way of revelation. God's got to just really soak it into your insides. And I'm praying that that's what will happen this morning. So, Father, we come to you this morning as we take time to focus on your word. We pray for a spirit of revelation in the house, Father, uh, that you would continue to transform us, change us, enlarge our thinking. Father, even uh, enlarge our view of who you are and what you want to do through us, Father. So we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. I've been thinking for a couple of months now that it's been time to redig some wells. There's been some times, you know, there's, there's seasons in God. And we don't dictate those seasons, but God does. But there, uh, there was a season, oh, 20 years ago, where uh, the prayer room in church was the hot place to be. Remember that, D? Yeah, D and Herb were there. Good to see you guys. Uh, and for some reason, you know, that season passed. And... I think we're on the, at the beginning of, a, of another season somehow. I don't know what God's going to do or how he's going to move, but prayer is an ingredient in that. But uh, there was a time when prayer was a very big deal, and 
it's hard to focus on every aspect of, God, of life in God at the same time. And, but I think we're heading into another season of prayer. And, we're, and so this message is meant to, to in a way, redig that well. And uh, as Paul said, I'm going to stir up your pure minds in way of remembrance. I'm going to remind you of these things, even though you know them. And some of this may seem familiar to you, but uh, I think we all need to hear it, and I need to hear it again. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, the Our Father. But um, what I want to address this morning is the motivation to pray. I think there's enough guilt and condemnation to go around. Uh, probably every person in here could say, uh, my prayer life is lacking. Uh, I don't read the word enough. I feel guilty. I, I should pray more. I should dot, 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 fill in the blank. I should do all these things more. And so I believe we need to be inspired to pray, not weighted down with uh, condemnation, without, with a sense of duty and guilt and focusing on how my prayer life really sucks. And that's not my intention today. Uh, we want to be inspired to pray. We can learn how to pray later. We can pray how to pray scripture. We, we can learn about intercession. We can learn about how to prayer walk and all those things later. But if we're not inspired to pray, it ain't going to happen. And uh, we'll be glued to our phones and all the things that are on there, and we won't pull ourselves away to pray if we're not motivated. So I hope we're stirred in this morning and you'll, you'll leave here not feeling guilty or condemned, but you'll be motivated to pray like never before. So Matthew 6, verse 6, the Our Father. Do we have a slide of that? And so Jesus is teaching how to pray. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. The Father, Father is a title that is probably the most comprehensive title of any, any name of God is that he's a father. Fathers do fatherly things. They protect. They take care of us. They love us unconditionally. He provides. And so Jesus is saying, don't pray to me. I don't know why. I was just always taught this early on. You don't pray to Jesus. The reason why we can approach the Father is because of Jesus. I, I approach the Father in the name of Jesus. I've got the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of my heart, and therefore I have access to the Father. And so we, we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Well, I thought your kingdom come was going to come. Your kingdom was going to come anyway, with or without me, you know, despite me. Isn't your kingdom going to come automatically? Your will be done. Well, of course your will is going to be done. On earth it is, it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Well, wait a minute. Back in verse 8 of this passage, it says that the Father knows what you need before you even ask. Why, sh why should I have to ask for my daily bread? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, again, isn't that automatic? Aren't I just protected? I'm, I'm saved. I'm even spirit-filled. I'm water baptized. I, I think I'm in good shape. So if God was going to do something, do those things in our lives, regardless of 
whether or not we pray, then he doesn't need to ask us and we don't need another waste of time, as Dutch Sheets so adequately says. And there's a quote here that he says, if it's all que sera, sera, then let's all take a siesta and let it all just happen. This was a, a revelation to me. I'd been preaching for 15 years before it finally dawned on me that God needs our prayers. God works in concert with our prayers. He doesn't work separately from us, but he's interwoven what he does on the earth with the lives of human beings. And so if we, if we don't understand that God works in concert with us, we won't be really motivated to pray. Deliver us from the evil one. So if God's protection from the enemy were just automatic, then we wouldn't need to pray. But Paul uh, uh, and Peter, several instances in the New Testament, talk about uh, the, uh, the fact that we need to be protected from the enemy. We need to be hedged in and that we have a role to play in covering each other in prayer. First, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul was uh, very fearful that the church would be led, as, led astray, just as he says Eve was led astray in the Garden of Eden. Ephesians 6.10, the famous passage about putting on the full armor of God so that we can resist the enemy and take our stand against the enemy. He says in verse 18, and pray in the spirit or pray in tongues on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. 1 Peter 5.8, another very familiar scripture. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it says resist him, standing firm in the faith. Resist him. And so God, for some reason, in his way, his, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He has chosen to work with you and I as human beings. And though God is sovereign and all-powerful, he has chosen to link the carrying out of his will to his people. Let that soak in. As Judge Sheets again says, and I'll quote from his book quite a bit, he needed human hands to heal, human voices to speak, and human feet to go. And we think, well, yeah, that makes all kinds of sense. But in this, if we don't stay balanced in this, we can get really... Uh, wigged out and we can, we can take on too much responsibility. If it's all on me and all on my prayers, then I kind of become like God. It's all up to me. That, that's an extreme that we don't want to be part of. I, I remember reading a book where this person was uh, recommending that we could summon angels and send them after money and angels would bring us money and, you know, that we were kind of like gods. The other extreme is that God's going to do everything with or without us, and I don't need to pray. Let's just let the good times roll. I'll just show up at church on Sunday like a good Christian, and that's all I've got to do. And the Lord addressed 
a whole church in the book of Revelation, the book of La or the letter to the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation. And they said, I don't need a thing. And he said, wait a minute, you need, you need eye salve. You need, you need to be anointed. You need to be healed because you're just kind of laying low. And I'm going to, you're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. And so there's these two extremes. Do we have that? And so somewhere in the middle, we want to find this balance to where uh, God is initiating. God always initiates, but we cooperate. We participate, but we don't initiate. We're only following through on what God speaks to us to do. I, uh, years ago, I have a friend from another state who is estranged from his family, and uh, he left in very poor circumstances, very unlike. Uh, it was very unlike him, but he, he left his family and uh, became estranged from them. His wife had cancer, and she died. And he was told not even to show up at the funeral because... He wouldn't be welcome. Has several children, and uh, again, it's totally uncharacteristic. But I immediately felt that that was an assignment for me in prayer. And the picture that I had was uh, one year we were in Duluth, Minnesota, and we watched the first ship, the first icebreaker, come in and just coming through wave after wave breaking through the ice and coming into port. It was a very big deal. It is every year in Duluth when the first ship comes in. And that's the picture that I had in my mind, that it was going to be a very difficult uh, assignment, and hearts were ice cold, but just to pray. And that's been years ago. But pray for those kids by name. They're all adults. And uh, I believe God's going to answer those prayers. And I'm not sure when, but the seeds are, I, I just keep planting those seeds. And, and, then, and so God may speak to you sometime about taking that on. Well, it's not going to be, well, there's a balance there. God's going to work, but he's going to work with my prayers. It's not all up to me, and it's not necessarily all up to God. It's up to both of us working together in concert, but God initiated that. Uh, assignment. I believe he spoke to me. And so God's the initiator. We don't take it on uh, just on our own. We don't get out there on our own. That's a dangerous place to be. So God never intended for his people to be bystanders watching passively while he does what he wants to do with or without us. As Peter says, we're participants in the divine nature. If you want to just turn to Genesis 126, and uh, even though these verses are up here, I, I recommend that you look these verses up either on your iPad or your phone or in your Bible. And, you know, I like, I like paper. I like writing in the margins and underlining and highlighting. And that familiar verse is always on the right-hand page in the first column toward the top, you know, that kind of a thing. In Genesis 126 through 28, God talks about Adam and Eve having 
being his representatives, basically, and subduing the earth and ruling over God's creation. And these words imply that man was giving, given responsibility and stewardship. And how many of you know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? We still, I believe, are to have that role. God established man's role as his representative on the earth. We represent God on the earth. That's the way it's supposed to be. We are his agents. Paul refers to us as his ambassadors. And to represent means to speak or to act with authority on the part of someone else, to be a substitute or agent for another. In other words, we present Christ. We represent, we represent God. We, it means to give away or pass on the life of God that's within each one of us to others. We pass away, we, we give away what we have. Remember, and it, it's not so outlandish to, to think that way, but again, like I said, I was a Christian for years and years before I ever really understood this. But Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You. Me? You. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so God intended to give us that responsibility and to steward uh, those gifts that he's given to us. I want to uh, read an article here or read a quote. But here in Genesis chapter 126 through 28, reading that passage, the important thing is to understand that you were created. And the whole uh, subject of intelligent design is controversial. In, unfortunately, even in grade school anymore. But rather than some kind of a happy accident that evolved out of some swirling ball of gases, God actually created you, which means he created you for a purpose. He has a role for you to play. It's no accident that you were born and you're living in this century, in 2017, or that you're in Missoula, Montana, or wherever you live in this area. You're here at the right time, in the right place, on purpose, because you were crea created for that and you were born for this. We have to understand the seasons and ages and understand that God just doesn't do accidents, but he acts with purpose. And so you were created. You were born. Psalm 8, verse 4 says, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. How many of you feel like you've lived most of your life with a spiritual inferiority complex? <laughs> I do. I, you think of yourself as like me? Do something for God? Heal the sick? Do all those things. I, boy, I don't know. I can't even pray out loud, let alone, you know. Uh, but who, who is uh, the author of that kind of a spiritual inferiority complex? The enemy doesn't want you to discover what you're really capable of doing and what your identity really is in Christ. 
little passage here <clears throat> on the subject of presenting or representing what Christ did. Again, he initiates, we respond, we participate, we cooperate. We're representing him, extending his work. He who bore on our infirmities, diseases, sins, and reproaches and rejection when they were laid on him. Please remember that we're not literally redoing what Christ did. We're representing what he did. He is the balm of Gilead, but we apply this healing salve. He is the fountain of life, but we are dispensers of his living water. He is the comforting shepherd's staff, but he allows us the privilege of extending it. Yet, or yes, not only did he bear our weaknesses, but he's also still touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And he wants to touch us with the same compassion that we too might be bearers of that compassion. Think about it. The great healer healing through us. The great high priest priesting through us. The great lover loving through us. He inaugurated the new covenant with his blood, but in reference to our part, he has made us able ministers of the New Testament or the new covenant. Yes, Christ has made us able ministers, and if I understand the word correctly, ministers administer something. What, what do we administer? The blessings and provisions of the new covenant. Amen. We've got a lot of work to do. We get to do it. We get to work with God. We're co-laborers. Every noteworthy event in Scripture after the creation involved human beings at some point. Have you ever thought about that? Think about every major story you learned in Sunday school, and it involved a human being. Noah built the ark. Heard from God. And... Uh, Moses, the, I think the, the beautiful picture of intercession that I see, of, and intercession is just prayer for others, is Moses, and they were beaten up on the Amalekites, I think. There's a lot of ites in the Bible. And, uh, but Moses, as long as Moses held that staff high in the air, the Israelites would prevail. And he got tired, and he brought his arms down, and they started getting beat. And so Aaron and Hur, one on each side, they sat him down and they lifted up his arms and Israel uh, prevailed. And so that's a, a good admonition to be praying for your leaders, supporting your leaders. Uh, the mother Mary, think of Mary being used to give a human being, a, a, just a regular human being, just like you, was used to birth the savior of the world. Peter, uh, we can all relate to Peter because he blew it a few times and he spoke out of turn and was just kind of a zealous wild man and uh, was screwing up all the time. We can relate to Peter and of course Paul who wrote much of the New Testament. And so we have to understand that we're just like those human beings. Were every bit as, they were every bit as human as 
you and I. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 16, is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, where remember the little shepherd boy just had two little loaves, or was it five loaves and two fish, something like that. And uh, the miracle was that as they broke the bread, as the they broke the bread into baskets and distributed it. It was enough to feed 5,000 people. It just kept multiplying. And, and so think of that picture as, as, the, as the disciples were distributing this miracle. This, the, and you, you wonder what was going through their mind as they uh, gave out this bread that it wasn't going away. And they even had leftovers. It was a miracle right before their eyes. But they, who did the miracle? Jesus did. Who was the distributor? The disciples. And so Dutch Sheets so aptly says again, the producer simply wants to distribute through us. The intercessor wants to intercede through us. Jesus is the intercessor. He's the one that went, uh, uh, that intercedes in heaven for us and was the great intercessor by dying on the cross. The mediator wants to mediate through us. The representative wants us wants to represent through us. I appreciated that word today. I think it was Eric, but uh, being reflective, that radiance. Uh, we, we can make a difference when we walk into the room. We can, we can change an atmosphere because of the Spirit of God on us. The victor wants his victory enforced through us. The minister of reconciliation has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And so we are to represent what Christ did in extending that work of the cross. Can you say amen? John 14, 12, again, a good scripture to turn to and have underlined in your, in your Bible because it pertains here. Just a sec. I'm still coughing and hacking and just like you all. From, it was so encouraging, though, to have clean air last night. We opened the windows and doors in our house. That's a big deal. Yeah. And it still looked like you're in central California out there, but it far cry from Beijing, China, you know, it's kind of, it's relative. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. I've always pondered this portion of scripture, and I'm thinking it just, I don't know, I've just never experienced this, and it seems so far from my experience, but this is what the Word of God says. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to my Father. In other words, he's interceding for us. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may, ask, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I would I have to say that generally we need to pray in the will of God. That's why we need to wait on the Lord. That's another aspect of prayer is discerning God's heart. So we pray in his, according to his will. He says, if you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I believe it's the King James Version that says he will give you another comforter. 
That word another is alas in the Greek, the word twin. I will give you an identical anointing. As Peter says, I think it's, you know, it's in Romans, Paul, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Whoa. Imagine the potential. Who would want to keep us from realizing that potential? Yeah, we have an enemy. I think it's expressed a lot of times in our smartphones because we're so absorbed with all that stuff, we're never really, we're, we don't focus enough on God and what God's saying and what he wants to do. And there's some good apps and things on smartphones, but I'm saying that sometimes we're so busy just to put your phone 20 feet away and ignore it for an hour or two takes some discipline anymore, doesn't it? Can you just wait on God and shut everything off and, and hear him speak to you? And remember that Jesus prayed. He waited on his father. He, he went up to pray. He spent a whole night in prayer. If Jesus needed to pray, wow, what does that mean? Maybe we need to, you think? James 5.16 um, Josh referred to this last week, and I appreciate it, but I'm going to read it again. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Dutch Sheets recently, I was listening to a, a message he spoke recently about seasons, and he was talking about seeds that have been planted for years. They've been lying dormant. Prayers that have been prayed. Prophecies that have been prophesied. Hopes and dreams. Seeds lying dormant. You know that they found seeds in Pharaoh's tombs that, can, that are a thousand years old or, or thousands of years old, and they actually produce life. Seeds, we're living, we're living in a season maybe where some of these seeds are coming to life. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And that's where persistence comes in. And I could talk for weeks about persisting in prayer. And there's a lot in there in the, in the Bible about that. But Elijah was a man just like us. Just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced his crops. Was it seven years that there was no, was that famine seven years? I should know that, but I don't at the moment. And so can you pray for something for seven years? Can you, can you just believe God that it's going to happen? You know it's going to happen. Just like you know the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Can you wait seven years? Elijah was a man just like us. We can hear God and uh, discern the season that we're in. And we can line our hearts up with God's heart. And I believe we're in a season where God wants to move. And it's time to get our ears to the ground and discern what's going on and be right in the middle, uh, right at the right time at the right place and be right in the middle of what God wants to do. 
Oh, it says three and a half years. Duh, it's right here. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again. And he went back seven times. He knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that God was going to move. And so maybe you've prayed, and there's, those seeds are still lying dormant. You haven't seen answers to prayer. God heard those prayers. Maybe they didn't line up with his will. Maybe he's, his answer was no. Maybe his answer is yes, but maybe it's just not the right time yet. Uh, there's that word in uh, the Greek word for time. Chronos is one word. It's, it's clock time, days, weeks, where we get the word chronology. And then there's this word for time. It's like when a woman says, it's time. It's time. That, and, and I believe we're, we're approaching that season where it's time. It's time to seek the Lord. It's, it's time. Let's, so in light of all these scriptures that I've read and, and what we've said so far, I believe there are serious implications for us in terms of our prayer life. This partnering, this being ambassadors or agents for the Lord, representing him. What, is that, what are those implications for prayer? Joshua 10, verse 12, another battle that was being fought. And uh, where, where uh, the Lord said, Oh, son, or uh, is that right? Whoever wrote Joshua. Oh, son, stand still, this prayer. Oh, son, stand still over Gibeon. Oh, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Maybe not quite like that has God listened to you where the sun stopped and the moon stood still to extend a day. But I believe God is wanting to hear your cries. Second Chronicles 7.14, this famous passage, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if, circle it, underline it, highlight it, if my people, how many, who, are, who are God's people? Are any God's people in the house today? Oh, I think you're his people. If you will humble, if, you will humble yourselves and pray, then I will. Not without you, not apart from you, but with you. Then I will hear from heaven. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, another great passage that is underlined in my Bible. I looked for, the Lord says, I looked for someone to stand in the gap or who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. I looked for someone. I looked for a man. I looked for a human being who was burdened enough to pray for the will of God on the earth. He says, but I found none. And the disappointment was he, his judgment unfolded after that, Ezekiel 22:30. He says, but I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall. That's a, another picture in prayer that we can hedge someone in, hedges of protection around our teenagers and our young people, hedges of protection around people that are doing dangerous jobs, 
who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. That's, a, that's an extraordinary passage. Acts chapter 10, verse 4, moving to a, a, more of a positive uh, passage where Cornelius, this, this man who was praying and he had all these people around him and he just needed help. And meanwhile, God appeared to uh, Peter. It says he fell into a trance and the Lord showed him a prophetic picture so that when these people showed up from Cornelius' house, he had the wherewithal to go with them. And so he, he went to them and, and he, he was in their midst and God was just pouring out his spirit. They started praying in tongues right in the middle of the message. Just extraordinary things happened. But it's because Cornelius prayed and Peter was in prayer and God's purposes happened through those two people because they were waiting on the Lord. Again, it, things just, God doesn't just do things accidentally. Things don't happen accidentally. Acts chapter 12, verse 1, where uh, Peter was in prison. A couple of the disciples had been killed already. And... Um, Oh, that's not my PowerPoint. I just realized, whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Stacy. You're making me look good. Um, but Peter was released from prison, and they were kind of surprised. They were all pr together praying, and uh, what was the girl's name that went to the door? Rhoda. Heard a knock on the gate. Who is it? It's Peter. Oh, and people said, no, it couldn't be. But they were praying. But, the, but Peter was miraculously released from prison because people were praying. And so we have a role to play, don't we, in securing divine provision and protection. And again, that's going to come through revelation to you. It can't just be just by rote through hearing a message today. God really needs to visit you. I'd like to have the worship team come, and I'm going to close with a, a rather long uh, quote. I, I might just make some copies and have them available next Sunday. But uh, you can close up your Bibles and uh, just listen close. And I do want to remind you next Sunday at 9 o'clock, be here for prayer. This morning was extraordinary. Uh, it was really a good time of prayer. We just really felt God move. And, uh, but Ian Bounds, his uh, complete works on prayer, it's kind of a hard read. It's a big, thick book. I think my wife read it, but I just read, I read the quotes I got from her. <laughs> it's, uh, she, fight like, she fights like a girl, by the way. Um, when, during those years of renewal back in the mid-90s, uh, she got prayer, uh, just there was a huge impartation. Ginny uh, Smith prayed over her, and uh, she said the intensity that she felt when God came over her was, she'd given birth to five kids, and it was nothing like getting prayer from Jenny Smith, the intensity and the, the birthing 
that came came by revelation. And if you know Shirlene, she's not one to attract attention to herself, but she found herself screaming at the top of her lungs. And she got up off the floor and became uh, a warrior princess, so to speak. I remember her throwing Tim Scharf to the ground. <laughs> Literally. We were at some place in Coeur d'Alene, and she got this, this unction to pray for him, and she was just shaking him, and she finally just, <laughs> in Jesus' name. And anyway, she's a powerful prayer warrior. From Ian Bounds. The prayer closet is not an asylum for the indolent and worthless Christian. It is not a nursery where none but babes belong. It is the battlefield of the church. It's citadel, the scene of heroic and unearthly conflicts. The closet is the base of supplies for the Christian in the church. Cut off from it, there is nothing left but retreat and disaster. The energy for work, the mastery over self, the deliverance from fear, all spiritual results and graces are much advanced through prayer. The difference between the strength, the experience, and the holiness of Christians is found in contrast to their praying. Few short, feeble prayers always betoken a low spiritual condition. Men ought to pray much and apply themselves to it with energy and perseverance. Eminent Christians have been eminent in prayer. The deep things of God are learned nowhere else. Great things for God are done by great prayers. He who prays much, studies much, loves much, works much, does much for God and humanity. The execution of the gospel, the vigor of faith, and the maturity and excellence of spiritual graces wait on prayer. And in light of Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all the saints that went before, rehearses, Paul rehearses those great men, men and women. He says, in, in view of Hebrews 11, these men knew how to pray and how to prevail in prayer. Their faith in prayer was no passing attitude that changed with the wind or with their own feelings and circumstances. It was a fact that God heard and God answered, that his ear was ever open to the cry of his children, and that the power to do what was asked of him was commensurate with his willingness. Everything then, as now, was possible to men and women who knew how to pray. Prayer indeed opened a limitless, a limitless storehouse and God's hand withheld nothing. Prayer introduced those who practiced it into a world of privilege and brought the strength and wealth of heaven down to the aid of finite man. What rich and wonderful power was theirs who had learned the secret of victorious approach to God. Let's stand. Father, our heart today is that, uh, like the disciples asked of Jesus, would you teach us to pray? From where we're at, whether we've been 
were a new Christian or been saved for 50 years, Lord, teach us to pray. You'd open our eyes. You're so huge. You're, you're past finding out. Your ways are higher than our ways. There's always more. We never really arrive. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us that we would grow in our faith, grow in our ability to pray, uh, grow in our persistence, grow in our fervor and intensity in prayer, Father, because we just need you. And if we're going to see our city saved, if we're going to make a dent in our state, our city, our, even our county, Father, it's going to be because of the wind of your spirit blowing through. And so we need you. And I pray, Father, that you would birth just a revelation in our spirits about uh, the power of prayer and our role and our purpose and that we would break out of any kind of an inferiority complex and we'd understand who we are as your sons and your daughters, Father, and that we would move in uh, to that role you have with, uh, for us of representing you here in Missoula and on the earth. So God, fill us up. Fill us with more. God, uh, if wells have run dry and, and people's hearts here, God, just spring up. Spring up. Let those wells spring up once again and flow, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to worship a little while and then respond after that. Thank you for being here, and I trust it's been helpful for you. Amen. Amen. I need you.